Hello, I'm Nick Miller and this is The Sunday Miller, a beacon of sanity in a world of piffle and nonsense. That sounds like a chain of pretentious health food stores, doesn't it? Piffle and nonsense. There's, there's bound to be one in, in Islington somewhere. Sorry, I'm waffling. I'm making my way to the studio on foot to the DLR and the weather's bloody miserable, let me tell you. It's umbrella going inside out weather. So, to, to the matter in hand, in, in an otherwise anyway packed show today, I should have been interviewing the legendary Simon Fanshawe, but unfortunately he was called away to host an awards ceremony and we couldn't get the timings right, so we'll do him next week, if you'll pardon the expression. Uh, today I'll be delving into the World Cup, even though I'm refusing to watch it. As a friend of mine said this week, all the controversy has sucked all the joy out of it, and I think that sums it up perfectly. But I'll be gossiping about it anyway, as is my want. Uh, we'll be talking about, well, OK, I'll be talking about, and, and you'll be listening, uh, bringing the Wagatha Christie trial to the West End stage as if it wasn't dramatic enough already. I, I think they should do it as a musical on ice. I'll, I'll tell you all about Bridgerton's new postcode, SE10, and defrosting Walt Disney. I'll be referencing Ronaldo's mum swearing allegiance, quite literally, to her son. And I'll teach you the rudiments of how to speak Chelsea. <laughs> and Black Fridays matter, but nowhere near as much as they used to. All of this interspersed with the suave and dulcet tones of the voice of the Bulls himself, his royal lotteriness, Alan Dedicote, will be putting, him, putting me in my place, which right now is a bit of a damp sort of place, by saying rude things like this. Nick Miller, a bit like a proper broadcaster, only cheaper. FIFA president Gianni Infantino raised eyebrows this week. And I, I don't know if you know what he looks like, but he has actually got weird eyebrows. He looks like the hood from Captain Scarlet. That'll alienate the youth of today, won't it? They won't know what the hell I'm on about. Anyway, he raised eyebrows this week in his attempts to hit out a criticism of Qatar as we saw the World Cup kicking off. In, in a bizarrely worded one-hour rant, I don't know if you saw this, to an invited audience, he declared, Today I feel Qatari. Today I feel Arabic. Today I feel African. Today I feel gay. Today I feel disabled. Awkward. Slightly weird. <coughs> I think he was channeling Julie Andrews. I feel Qatari, feel disabled. I feel pretty and witty and gay. I feel he must, must have been on something a bit stronger than Wacky Backy. Iraqi Backy, perhaps. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> on the subject of football, you know when you're in a tight spot and you, you hope your family will come to your defence? Ronaldo, as you may have heard, was sacked by Manchester United this week after that infamous interview with Piers Morgan in which he criticised just about everybody, really. His teammates, the club's owners and the manager, Eric Ten Hag. Well, sure enough, Ronaldo's mum, who apparently has 2.9 million Instagram followers herself, did indeed come to his defence. Not that he knows anything about defence. Uh, saying her son should tell the manager to fuck off. Which I thought was really sweet. They, those lovely old Portuguese mamas and their charming traditional colloquialisms, eh? And, and it's always great fun at the end of an episode of I'm a Celebrity to see who's there to greet the person who's just been evicted on that wobbly bridge. Uh, in the case of Matt Hancock, uh, and who would have guessed he'd made the final? I mean, come on. It was his former parliamentary aide, Gina Colodangelo. 
Here's the thing in the Who Knew category. Did you know that Gina Colodangelo was not only a non-executive director at the Department of Health and Social Care, which is presumably how they met in the first place, but was also the founder of the clothing store Oliver Bonus? Well, I never. Honestly, I never. Gina's apparently been keeping herself away from the other contestants' families and possibly Matt's family. I don't know if his kids are out there. She's no doubt waiting, looking very alluring in the five-star hotel and, and, and looking forward to another intimate reunion with what she likes to call the member for West Sussex. It's the Sunday Miller. As you may recall, I've been studiously avoiding the World Cup on moral grounds. Not that there are any moral grounds in Qatar, eh? <laughs> They're all built by slave workers who got paid 50 pence an hour. More like immoral grounds. But, but anyway, that's, that's me who'd never normally be accused of virtue signalling. Virtue signalling. I, I do hope the Qataris withheld those astronomical wages of the 6,500 migrants who went to Qatar dying to get a job and decided to do just that. That's grounds for dismissal. I'd say, look, look, if you're going to die falling off a scaffold or of heat stroke, then do it in your own time. John Barnes was on the telly the other morning, former England star, talking, of, of course, about the World Cup. But I always dread it when he's on TV, especially commentating on an international match, because I always think, oh, no, how long before one of the interviewers says, can you still remember that rap? They're referring, of course, to the one he did with New Order for World in Motion, which was the official song for the World Cup in 1990. And he always pretends to be reluctant but starts doing it anyway. I suppose even the best songs, and it's a bloody good song, have got to have a shit bit. And that was it. <clears throat> Truth be known, I don't really like rap anyway. But by the looks of John Barnes in those programmes that Harry Redknapp does when he brings together old has-been England footballers stars to take on old has-been German football stars... John likes a rap, just a bit too much, particularly when it's an appetizer just after the double quarter pounder. The Sunday Miller. You wouldn't have to listen to this nonsense if you were in church. I noticed with actually deep joy that this year Black Friday seems to have come and gone with about as much enthusiasm as RuPaul at a Taliban fundraising dinner. The enthusiasm for Black Friday seems to have faded almost to extinction. The entire nation seems to have seen through it, partly because it isn't just on a Friday. They started doing Black Friday week and then it was fortnight and then it was a month and now it seems to never end. It's like the DFS sale. There's never, there never isn't a DFS sale. Apparently hardly any stores had queues this Black Friday. It was different and more exciting when it was a novelty and it was just mainly Amazon and the odd department store. And the, the real fun of it back in the day was watching grown women in a shop doorway fighting over a television. That was always my favourite blood sport. Um, I was out on Friday night waiting for someone to get off the bus and I was standing in the door of a chemist and they had a sign up saying Black Friday sale. I mean, who goes bargain hunting in a chemist? Who says, let's not get your mum's urgent medical treatments right now. It's, it's already March. She'll be all right till the back end of November. Nick Miller, the voice of the common man. Very common. There have been some real standout moments in I'm a Celebrity this year. I think it's been a, it's been a good year. Uh, amongst my favourites was the thick one from Hollyoaks, who kept saying he'd seen a salamander. 
here's a salamander in the camp. I'm sure I saw a salamander. They, really, they should rename the species in his honour, I think. Uh, there have been some, uh, also some tender and amusing moments over the past three weeks. Matt Hancock finally got around to raising awareness of dyslexia, which was allegedly the reason he claimed he'd gone in there in the first place. Nothing to do with the 400 grand fee, of course. So he, he finally mentioned it, but more in passing, really, when one of the many Bush Tucker trials he was given involved solving anagrams. And he said, and I thought this was quite sweet, I won't be much use in this. To me, everything's already an anagram. Um, <coughs> Boy George, I, I generally found Boy George quite obnoxious, but the, the, the stories about his dad were quite sweet. Well, not in the sense that he was apparently an alcoholic and a gambler and he ran his building business into the ground so he couldn't feed his kids. That's not sweet, but I suppose poignant might be the word. George said that his dad was typical, typical old school and couldn't show any emotion to either his wife or his kids. Definitely nothing tactile, especially not to a gay son. Uh, he was probably more Qatari than the Qataris. George said that his mum would say to his dad, you never say you love me. They were Irish, by the way, the O'Dowds. And all his dad would say is, well, I'm here, aren't I? The, the, old, <laughs> the old incurable romantic. Uh, I'd love to see that type of gritty realism working its way into the world of rom-com. I can just imagine Nora Ephron's new director's cut of Sleepless in Seattle where Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan finally get to meet at the top of the Empire State Building. Tom Hanks, since, since we finally got together last week, you've never actually told me you love me. All right, Meg Ryan, I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> Nick Miller, the face for radio, the voice for a ransom demand. I was talking just now about adding a bit of realistic grit to what they call reality programming. And I suppose the most famous origins of reality TV in the modern sense would be TOWIE and Made in Chelsea. They are, of course, very different uh, from each other, but in many ways very much the same, but then very different all over again. You can always tell the difference between the two programmes, the characters in one and the other, West London versus Essex. By, by the way, they say words. So, for example, TOWIE people will want it to be known that they're visiting somewhere apparently elite and exclusive, probably expensive. So they don't want anything to be missed in the dialogue in case they're being overheard. Not one syllable can be sacrificed, especially if a, a poor person happens to be passing at the time. So they'll say something like, I'm having me Reiki done down at Champneys this afternoon. Obviously, they want to look their best for their very important evening job, which is going to an expensive restaurant and being rude to the waiting staff. Whereas in Made in Chelsea, uh, it's illegal. It's literally illegal to say the full name of anything or anyone. Uh, it, everything's got to have a nickname. So Champneys will be Champs, and Harrods is probably Rogers, and Fortnum and Mason, well, that's probably just too down market anyway. They probably think that's a food bank. And it's the same with people's names. In, in Made in Chelsea, Sophie Habu is Habs. Uh, Georgia Toffolo is, of course, Toff, by, by name and by nature. Lovely girl. Uh, and Binky, well, you'd think that'd be short for Bianca or something similar, but that'd be too obvious. Her real name, bizarrely, is actually Alexandra, so I'm not quite sure where that comes from. I've got a friend who's quite posh, and she should never admit this, but and she stubbornly refuses to give the full details of anything. So uh, she'll say or she'll, she'll message you uh, something like, I'm meeting Mads at LB for some BB if you want to convo. So after several days of frustratingly trying to winkle out clues, trying to understand the message, you have to engage GCHQ to decode it for you. And, and it turns out she's meeting Madeline at London Bridge to have bottomless brunch if you want to join us. 
by which time one of the three of us has probably died of old age. And whoever thought of coining the phrase reality in relation to these types of programmes must have thought, what genre can we create to describe programmes that are as far removed from reality as humanly possible, to the degree that even the producers call it scripted reality? So they'll set up a scene where normally nothing would happen other than them spending their inheritance drinking Cristal and saying how, how busy they've been having their nails done. And the director will say something like, OK, let's have Chlamydia walking into the bar and challenging genocide about stealing her boyfriend. Action. The Sunday Mirror. More balls than the National Lottery. The BBC and ITV have again rejected some of my brilliant TV programme proposals. Damn them. Uh, for example, the one I suggested where Danny Dyer finds out if he really is related to Thomas Cromwell and Edward III, so they, they get a Time Lord to take him back to the 1500s to meet them all. Doctor, who do you think you are? What do you think? And, and the one where Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen spends hours going through pretentious Farrow and Ball colour charts with one of the cast of Made in Chelsea, only to be told they want to go back to the colour they chose in the first place. I've called that Back to the Fuchsia. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'll get me coat. The Sunday Miller. Half an hour of your life you'll never get back. Over the years, there have been various attempts to turn everyday events and true life stories into plays and musicals, and, and usually they're pretty diabolical. Maxwell the Musical is one that springs to mind. That particular tasteful prospect was about Robert Maxwell, the one-time press baron, more like robber baron, uh, diving into the Mirror Group pension funds to try and rescue his businesses before diving into the seas at Gran Canaria, uh, and given his epic body mass being declared a man-made island. Although not unusual for Maxwell to have been visible from space, given that his ego had its own postcode, we're due for a TV extravaganza soon called Prince Andrew the Musical, if you've heard about this, but I'll be a little bit wary. But then it does have Harry Enfield in the cast, and I, of course, am a massive fan, and, and also the fabulous Munya Chihuahua, who I hope to get on this show one day soon, playing Prince Charles. So that all augurs well. Now, I don't know if you've heard about this, but a play uh, about the Wagatha Christie trial is... is about to be staged in the West End. It might already be on, I'm not sure. Adapted from the original High Court transcripts. <clears throat> Apparently the, the writers plan to bring the legal battle between Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rooney to life for half a dozen performances over the next few weeks at the Wyndham Theatre in, in the West End. Now, unless you've been living in an, an Australian jungle for a while with Matt Hancock and you missed it, the saga began three years ago when uh, Rooney uh, conducted a sting operation to find out who was leaking stories from her private Instagram account. I, I never knew you could have a private Instagram. Uh, but anyway, somebody was leaking these private Instagram uh, postings to journalists at The Sun. Uh, basically, it turned out to be Rebecca Vardy, who was guilty pretty obviously from the start. That's Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K, sorry, R-E-B-E-K-A-H. Now, frankly, anyone whose parents can't spell their own daughter's name isn't likely to come from the brightest of stock. So, uh, from memory, I think someone else tried to turn uh, the trial into a musical. It was either a college thing or an Edinburgh thing, I'm not quite sure, and that was, that was knocked back legally. But it does look like this one's going ahead. 
Uh, personally, I'd give it a swerve. I, I did see the comedy version, though. That was very funny. There were these two women playing the protagonists, and every day in court they'd, they'd wear the sort of really outlandish designer outfits you'd never actually see in court. And there was that funny, fat, beardy bloke playing Wayne Rooney who turned up every now and again. And, and they were what? They what? They, they, that actually was the court case. And that actually was Rain Rooney. No, you're shitting me. It's the Sunday Miller. There was a lady knocked at my door last week who told me she's part of the film crew working on a movie in the area with Sir Steve McQueen, no less. So naturally, at first, I assumed she was going to say to me, I hear you do a bit of acting. I was about to tell her she should call my agent... But then she said she'd just come round to forewarn me that there'll be some filming in the area and to apologise in advance for any inconvenience. It's nothing new. As I've mentioned before, with boring regularity, we, we get a lot of film crews in Greenwich, especially in the Naval College. We, we had Ridley Scott here recently filming Napoleon with Joachim Phoenix. But we've not had a night of the realm for a while, I don't think. Unless you count Sir David Attenborough, but he was making very slow progress along the Thames on account of the fact he's actually a boat better known at one time as Boaty McBoatface. Anyway, anyway, I digress. I might be hanging around a bit. All right, Steve, good filming. Very clever with that camera thing there. No, 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 that's Sir Steve on the right. All right, yeah, of course. Hey, Steve, Stevie, (laughs) nice chair. Is he canvas? Done a bit of acting, you know. I think you'll see the potential. Uh, I'll probably get nominated for something. Best newcomer, oldcomer. Uh, Steve McQueen. In case you weren't aware, most recently uh, known for his series of short films under the title Small Axe for the BBC, but most famous for 12 Years a Slave. Just missed out on Best Director at the Oscars, but they, but it did win Best Film. Anyway, his next film's apparently called Blitz, and it's a collection of stories about Londoners during the Second World War uh, in the German uh, air raids. And some of the streets around the back of where I live still look like wartime Britain with cobbled streets and old-fashioned lampposts and the women meeting up with American sailors while the men are at work. I think I may have made that bit up. But in the Naval College this week, they've been filming a period piece with lots of horses and carriages and people in big bustles and bonnets and petticoats. I'm not sure what the women were wearing. The security people are primed not to tell anybody what it is they're filming and they, they won't let you tell take pictures. I suppose in case you get a load of people turning up, asking the security people annoying questions about what they're filming. So you have to pretend that you already know. So I said to one security bloke, looks like Disney are back then. Because recently we were told that on the QT that they were filming something for Disney Plus. And the security bloke said, yeah, that's right. Turns out the bastard was lying, which is all well and good. But by the time I'd found out that it was actually Bridgerton... In my quest for more knowledge, I've been around to Walt Disney's house trying to unfreeze him from his cryogenic chamber with my hairdryer. I have to say, he wasn't best pleased. Okay, that's it for another week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, please tell your friends. Now, we've got some great guests coming up soon. As promised, albeit a week late, next week it's the legendary Simon Fanshaw. And we have some other of my very brilliant friends from the world of comedy coming soon. Otis Cannelloni, Sarah Isles, Leo Kearse, Anna Morris, Brian Damage and Crystal, Madame Galina, and many more besides. Now, remember, you may not agree with some of my opinions, but I'll always listen to yours. 
in this polarised, divided world. Please don't cancel anyone. They may just have a point. I'd like to tell you what's in next week's podcast, but I can't because the news hasn't happened yet. See you next time. The Sunday Miller is written and presented by Nick Miller. 